Good day, listeners and viewers of Beyond the Checkbox. My name is Ryan Todd. I'm the host where we learn about putting mental health resources into your organization through frontline leaders. Uh, Today's podcast, we had a very cool guest. Uh, Her name was Krista Pell, and she is the VP HR of a well-known energy company called Synovus uh, in Calgary, Alberta. Well, headquartered in Calgary, anyway. So what do you do when your company goes from 3,000 people to 9,000 people? That's what happened when a little company called Synovus bought another little company called Husky. And uh, and Krista was put on her desk and the HR team to make this merger happen after the fact, after the, after the papers were signed. So that perspective is very unique. Of course, Krista is a very high-level athlete in, 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 in CrossFit. So that was cool to get that perspective as well because her personal wellness and CrossFit and how she competes ties into this very stressful, very big job that she has. Uh, we were excited to have Krista on the show, and I hope you enjoy it. Okay, so you started just before, essentially a month right, before, or two before the pandemic. Two months before the pandemic. The basically. company was 3,000 people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for those, most of us know what Synovus is. For those who don't, tell us a little bit about the organization and, the, you know, kind of the, the reach of it and what the main industry is. Yeah, so integrated energy company, which really means that, and maybe I'll go back a little bit prior to that, um, to the acquisition of Husky. It really was solely focused in Western Canada oil sands um, and doing different types, but, you know, primarily um, uh, conventional and then oil sands. Um, And then, yeah, then with Husky, it got a whole lot more diverse. So now we have refineries, so they call that downstream assets. So refineries really in the U.S. and in Canada. And then we have offshore operations in uh, just off, offshore of China, Malaysia, so Asia Pacific, Newfoundland. And then, of course, then we grew more of that conventional gas business and the oil sands business. So within two years, your workforce went from 3,000 to what now? About nine thousand. So it tripled, and not like three to nine, like like you added six thousand people. Yeah. So basically, when when the you know when the transaction occurred with Husky and Synovus, there was you know we were over three, so we were three plus. They were seven plus, and so then you're you know there was some downsizing last year, like yeah. where the synergies occurred, and we're about nine. Yeah. Wow. It's busy. Yeah. So t- t- take us through that because there's like in the industries that. I'm most familiar with that fluctuation in staff is normal. Like we work with construction companies that double Mm -hmm. or half, like just on a seemingly on a whim. Obviously there's a lot of that goes into it, like years of work. And I think our listeners would benefit from knowing what that is like 
and how you've dealt with that and how your company has dealt with it on the HR side. Yeah. Well, this one's really different. And, and I previously was in a role similar where like project management construction, I mean, you know, you're like zero to 10,000 if you need yeah. to be. And the reason this one's slightly different is you can imagine like both of those both companies, Sonovas and Husky, had their practices, had their, you know, compensation methods. Were they wildly different or mostly? You know, so one of the terms we've been using lately is the devil's in the details. Um, no, on paper, they were very similar. Both yeah. followed, you know, both were Canadian-based, you know, energy companies. Yeah. However, when you start to dig deeper – it is in the little things, right? So you and I are drinking coffee right now. I think you're drinking coffee. I'm, this is a water. Oh, wow. Okay, it's let's pretend. Deceiving, no. It's let's pretend we're drinking. Our viewers, it's very deceiving. Yeah, so you and I are drinking coffee. We're like, oh, yeah, we're both coffee drinkers. But it only takes standing in line at a Starbucks or anywhere to say how different are those coffee drinkers, right? Yeah. I might be a double shot dark roast what espresso. Do you have? Well, normally I, I would be just like my normal go-to order. Currently, it's like a dark roast with almond milk. I went off almond milk for a long time, but now I'm back on the almond milk. I usually like a black coffee, but I find that's a bit much. That's so a, that's a that's a phenotype of coffee drinker, the black coffee drinker. Really? Yeah, that's like it. It, it means you're more I don't know, like hardcore or something. But I'm not like a hardcore coffee. I, honestly, it, it. I mean, it probably has to do with because I don't like cream at all so yeah, until okay. the whole almond milk and i don't yeah. like oat i'm obsessed by cashew milk sorry randomly for your <laughs> listeners cashew milk is the nut milk what doesn't choice. make milk at this point every <laughs> nut or vegetable oat. makes milk i know like or grain they all make milk <laughs> like oat is literally like um and i was having conversations and i was like like so if i squeeze my oatmeal and i'm like milk, milk. <laughs> what is <laughs> Comes that right out of it <laughs> anyway yeah so, but think about that mindset, right? So yeah. really similar and and because, you know, kind of culturally we primarily based in Calgary, um, you know, so compensation, similar, culturally, leadership, similar, yeah. but then then different. I mean, and and probably the biggest difference, I think really rooted in how old are these, how old are these companies like Husky, you know, very old. That sounds wrong. Uh, but, you know, kind of in that 50-year mark, and then yeah. Sonova's about 10. So that's probably, wow. even if, um, you know, even if you were to say, well, they're all really similar, like even culturally, that just changes things, right? Yeah. That's an interesting thing is that, like, we talk about culture, and no one can really define it, but there's a feeling there. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's similar to, like, coffee drinkers like pure black coffee drinkers or maybe they feel different than someone who has a mm -hmm. latte and it, what were the cultural differences like how do you see that show up in a major merger and growth yeah so you really see it in how decisions are made yeah i think that's one for sure where like you know, is there an expectation of, you know, kind of we're going to, we use the term stakeholder, like you're going to stakeholder it around the table a lot, then you're going to roll it out in a specific specific sequence, and then you're going to get your decision? Yeah. Um, or is it going to be very much like a command and control type decision? This is what we're going to do. The people in charge of it are going to make that decision. They will choose how they roll it out. So that's yeah. definitely one. Um, Which, where, what is it now? Like, what's the culture now with it, do you think? 
Well, I think it's still evolving and emerging. I mean, the yeah. leadership, the executive team leadership was largely a Synovus leadership. Yeah. So a lot more, um, I'll say agile, nimble in that decision making. Like Synovus acquired Husky. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a merger. We treat it like a merger. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's really important. So we often, I'll say in the office, because uh, we are just getting ourselves back yeah, in yeah. there now. Cool. But we'll, cool. we speak about it. You know, we'll interchange merger, acquisition, transaction, all of those words. Merger because of this. Synovus was smaller. Um, and we weren't in a place from an um, operational perspective to run Husky. So there was no point in considering that you were acquiring. Yeah. Like if you were going to go in and acquire, not that you can't merge and, and you know, kind of integrate and harmonize, you know, what you're doing. Yeah. So if we just said talent development right? That's a very soft, easy one. But we could have just said, nope, you're going to follow what Synovus is doing. But we actually weren't, we didn't have the program structure to do that. So that's why we talk a lot about it is we wanted to consider it a merger um, from how we looked at things, um, because that was really how we were going to be successful. You can't really acquire a workforce that's double yours as well, procedurally. Right. I mean, the only way I think you could is if from an HR perspective is if you were really all in the same city country area, right? And you were really just adding on more um, headcount. But that was not what what happened. And so there was really, to your point, you can't, you know, acquire double your size and then just think it's all going to run the same. And that's why I'm like, the culture is still emerging because the Synovus, uh, you know, the roots of the Synovus culture was what we went in with, but there are practicalities that just don't exist. Did it change the game now that it's more international? Big time, big time. And I can think of two really, really baseline examples. So one, when we did this, uh, when the transaction happened, everybody was working from home. Almost globally, all That's working from layer home. Of complexity. So it actually made it a lot easier. Really? Yes. And here's why: because it really didn't matter where you were based then, right? So I can okay. comfortably call a you know director of HR in Hong Kong as much as I can call someone that's sitting in St. John's or they're sitting in Calgary. It's pretty easy. There's some time zone pieces in there, but easy. Um, but you know, I had something come to light last week is we were having a leadership day and we were planning for it. And all of a sudden someone's like, well, is it a hybrid, a hybrid day? And we're like, no, it's going to be in person. And they're like, okay, well, are you flying folks out of Hong Kong, out of Shaku, out of, and, and, you know, yes, people had thought about it, but they hadn't really, you know, you could see the like, (laughs) oh, "Oh, I guess so. Yeah, Yeah, I guess we are. So those nuances really will change a culture that's quite a comfortable with at first walking down the hall to find someone yeah. then thinking everybody's on their time zone then to even like how do i pull an in-person meeting together if i want it yeah it has changed the game so much in how we interact yeah and like we're coming back to the office now too and some things are way easier and some things are like kind of the same so i, I don't know i i think everything's going to be hybrid like I oh think i think that, they like, should be it will be from now on yeah Especially if somebody's like, like there's, I don't know if it's impacted sick days or I know it's probably impacted short-term disability, but sick days are almost like they're less of a thing. Mm -hmm. You know, you stay home, but like, you know, if you have like a mild cold and you can still work, you stay home and kind of do the work. Yeah, we actually had to have a bit of a, 
you kind of like uh, put the foot firm foot down recently yeah. over that because we actually had people, you know, COVID is obviously a big word, but people get COVID and they're still online working from home. And I'm like, okay, if you have a sniffle, hey, no problem. But at the end of the day, if you're sick, go be sick. You know, yeah, I hate to say it, better, but, you know, yeah. go take care of yourself. Yeah. Um, and we just saw people that were like, well, I'm just at home, so I'll work anyway. And so that is something I think just from a, um, certainly from a health and safety perspective, but also from a mindset perspective, yeah. like what's really best for people is to take care of themselves. And that's, I, you know, we saw that starting to happen where people are just so used to working from home and it's easy to grab your laptop or, you know, go into your office or do whatever you, wherever you work from home. And we're really not taking the time to heal. Has that, like, does that change? Is that a, is there cultural nuances to that? How, you know, sites in Newfoundland or like off the coast of China are, does, is wellness considered differently? Like, do you find there's cultural nuances there? I do. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, I'll, I'll, Inter, or interchangeably talk about maybe wellness and and also like employee like psychological safety yeah, as well. Yeah. Um, so emerging uh, in in Asia, not at the same space we are here, but definitely emerging. We've had two or three really key uh, indicators where you know they're not as far lagging as they would have lagged from North America. Kind of just cultural at and. And COVID has changed that. Yeah. Um, working from home as an option has changed some of that. Um, even just the stigmatism around mental health. Um, still still a little or a lot different, yeah. probably from China to Canada. Sure. But if we get into some of the other Asian countries, it's, you know, kind of probably not as wide of a gap. Yeah. Um, Is psychologically, psychological safety, is that being talked about? in the asia pacific is that that's a topic that's coming up more and more it's starting to emerge yeah so we just did a leader series over the last few weeks in uh in our uh china for our china leaders yeah. on emotional intelligence yeah and so these are the you know kind of the entry points into those conversations where you know five years ago gosh you know well i'll say five ten five years ago that would have never yeah five years ago would have never happened yeah so and, and is it is it lagging? Like, how do you, first of all, how are you measuring it? And then how do you measure it like differently in different countries? I imagine there's not like hard metrics yet. No, not if we're talking about psychological safety, yeah. no. I mean, there's a number of indica soft indicators where we start to look at, um, and, and I use some pretty pinpoint data. So if we use our, let's say our employee or staff engagement survey yeah. or our self-identification surveys. Participation is the number one indicator okay. in psychological safety. Now, is it a perfect science? No, but if you think about engagement and feeling like you can be true, your true self at work and that you're in a safe spot, yeah. you're more apt to participate and disclose. Okay. Right? Because okay. you're in a place yep. of, I feel comfortable, I feel safe, yep. I feel I can speak my piece and that I don't have to hide. Now, we're we're in a new organization where we're now trending different numbers and looking at different things, but that's usually one of the key indicators that we'll look for is just participation. And did you see a difference in Husky Synovus in that concept, that construct? Like the, the question I like would, I'd be really interested in is... 
it is for sure dependent on the company and the culture of that company. Mm-hmm. But it's also a bit dependent on like the the gestalt of a region. Like Western Canadian based companies probably consider psychological safety in a in a similar ish way. Yep. So yeah. So yes, I would say that there are differences. Yeah. Um. So you know, Husky did a really great job of the what we call the self identification survey. Yeah. Um. Sonovus didn't have one. Flip side is Sonovus did a really great job of engagement surveys and querying employees on, um, you know, what you would yeah engagement surveys and yeah. Husky didn't do them. So it's hard for me to kind of compare apples to apples. Yeah. Um. But there was a different culture at Husky around probably just comfortably disclosing um husky was owned by um does you know did does have asian owners or did have asian owners um and that will create a certain different um disclosure comfort uh just based on the culture uh that that brought forward for you and energy why is that important psychological safety like i have my own ideas about it it's interesting to know from your perspective why is that being put at the forefront? Why is that an important concept? Well, I think there's a couple of things. One is, I, and I can pull psychological right to physical safety, but mm-hmm. I think a few things. One is we want people to be their best authentic selves when they're in the, when they're working, no yeah. matter where they are. It's yeah. an office based statement. This is be your authentic self because we're gonna that's we're gonna get the best out of you. We're gonna have the opportunity to get the best out of you. When you put them into when you put that mindset into a safety sensitive role. I equally want, I absolutely want people to speak up when there are safety concerns. Um, and so I always think about, and I'm going to get, it's like the Costa ship that ran amok in Italy. I don't know how many years ago that was now. But they had, there's a nuance around this of around why do you not want the captain steering the ship? And why do you want the first lieutenant steering mm-hmm. the ship? And I don't know if you've heard this before, but because the first lieutenant is traditionally going to be fearful to co- correct the captain. No, you don't want that. You want to change that yeah. environment. However, putting the first lieutenant, or I might be getting you know the first something, the navy boat hire, whatever the first person is, the 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 putting them steering allows the captain to course correct. Yeah. Okay. If you need. So I bring this up, which is kind of a, a nuanced statement. But what we want is for everybody to feel comfortable. raising concern, being their best self, being authentic. And so that psychologically safety, that feeling of belonging and inclusion um, will allow you to more comfortably speak up. Is there fear that like the pendulum will swing, like everyone will start disclosing everything at all times and there's just going to be too much like disclosure of stuff? That's a good question. So I had a, I think I've talked about it before, but when I worked in Fort McMurray, there was a very particular um, safety meeting I was at, and I was young. Like I was, it was in my early twenties. It was before medical school. I, I'm sure I've talked about it on this podcast, so I apologize to like mostly McSteve, who has probably heard this story like eight times, and he's like, "Oh, this story again." Um, there was a we had a, a stand down meeting because mm-hmm. uh, there was like a bunch of little injuries that happened, yep. and the leader of the group and there was like 400 of us in this room and we all had to go home early and uh, the leader said you have to disclose these small injuries yeah like you have to 
But if you do, we go home early. <laughs> so it was like this completely dialectic statement yeah, that because then, shut it down in a way. And so it left me thinking like, like I don't know what to do here. If there's a small, do I, no one knew what to do. Well, and even things like, you know, injury recording or injury reporting, sorry, and injuries, right? Yeah. If, you know, they, depending on how people are compensation, like they're incentivized compensation wise, it can be a pro or a con. Um, people and are incented, obviously incented to, to be more safe. Correct. But maybe incented to not disclose injuries. No, well, you don't know. I mean, what I'm saying is people are incented to have a good safety rating. Yeah. And so if they're concerned that in disclosing these small things that could somehow happen, yeah. you know, what is the culture you're driving, right? Yeah. Is it a culture of disclosure for constant improvement and, con and safety is our number one priority? Um, but, the, you know, these are the things that we come across hate to say all the, I'm not saying all the time but they will come across them a leader yeah. saying like no we're going to tuck that away because we don't want to disclose a safety concern or yeah. you know um or you're on like a streak like yeah that, like that. I'm, I'm 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 comfortable to say we don't have that happening yeah. but um human nature is human nature yeah. right people are going to do things so to your point around am I concerned that by saying like everybody share everything um I think that's the only way that we can constantly improve. Like, isn't sure. that what we want? We, you know, we want to be able to focus on the right things. We want people to feel empowered that they can correct. And I think it's less about just, I'm going to bring forward a concern and we're never going to correct it. It's more about like, okay, well, how can you empowering people to also, you know, course correct, make improvements, yeah. um, make sure that we are delivering um, not only the, you know, the best product but like the safest environment safety number one do they still have those boards on sites that are like like a health and safety board no like oh <laughs> like yes board. we do <laughs> yes by a lot uh like those boards that have like the thing that says we are 45 million work oh yes without a safety incident yeah i mean there's different sites have different things but um, that appears to be like a thing that you're like oh don't disclose the injury because we're gonna mess up the like scoreboard yeah, but I think it's how you what you do when you disclose that, right? Yeah. So you either yeah, and I wouldn't ever say celebrate, but you either like you recognize that that maybe was a courageous moment to I see. you know, to disclose yeah. that. But there's an opportunity for us to learn and improve. Um have you ever heard the story? Sorry, no, I'm like hosting. I'm going to ask you a question. Um, That's good. That's have you good. ever heard the story of the executive who introduced New Coke? Now, you might be too young for that. Do you know what? New you, Coke? If I say New Coke, if does that make any sense? I didn't know there was an old Coke. Like so Coca-Cola? Yes, Coca-Cola. So okay. Coca-Cola, and I'm going to get the years Is it wrong. Was it like the Coca-Cola to Coke yes. transition? So, mm, so basically what happened was there was Coca-Cola. Yeah. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Pepsi was starting to eat their eat their lunch a little. Yeah. I don't know the story why of that. And then, so let's say CEO, executive table, like what are we going to do differently? Mm -hmm. And someone put up their hand and said, well, what I think we could do is change our packaging, kind of the new Coke, you know, kind of re, maybe they had a flavor change. I don't exactly know that point. Yeah. But basically this executive came forward and was like, I'm going to, I mean, I think we should do this. So it'd be like, hey, we're the new Coke. Right? Almost like I'm trying to think of something more recent, but I'll go with this story. Um, and so, uh, so executive stands up, new Coke, they put millions into this, they launch it, and it flops. All right? 
people are like new Coke. I want old Coke. What are you talking about? <laughs> Coke, Coca Cola. What? Yeah. So, two things happened. One, what what do you think happened to the executive that went all in on that? I don't know, like traditional thinking, he got fired. Traditional thinking is, right? And yeah. certainly, and this was in the 80s, so certainly yeah. traditionally you think. Instead, that CEO did two things. One, like public promotion and public praise for having the courage to come forward with a new idea when no other executive would put their neck on the line sure. to do that. Yeah. And secondly, allowed that individual to then launch Coca-Cola Classic, which is what we drink today. And really allowed. So they like rebranded the rebrand to just right. go back to. Old, yeah. Oh, and then Coca-Cola Classic ate Pepsi for lunch. But the whole point being that we so often reward or sorry, we so often penalize what can be perceived as a mistake or a failure yeah. instead of rewarding it. Yeah. Right. So and, and I think that's the thing is, you know, again, that's a bit of a circumvented story, but. It's how you respond to when things go or how as leaders we respond to when things don't go perfectly and someone has the courage to say, I don't think this is right. Yeah. Right? So whenever I think of psychological safety, I want someone to bring forward their concern. Now, it doesn't mean that, you know, it's really what do you do with that then? Do you allow them the opportunity to go and try and correct and fix? Do we have a suddenly have a pattern? Is it is it a, you know, an indicator of something? You know, does it give, you know, I'll say me as a leader an opportunity to then go and ask, well, hey, if you're seeing that, let's go dig a little bit. And is it more, you know, something more prevalent? So yeah, yeah, I never yeah. want to say like celebrate or, or reward um, something that's gone wrong as much as like you know, there's context in there, but to celebrate, celebrate the, the courage, yeah. the courage, courageousness, well, yeah. courageousness. Yeah. 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 yeah that but, somebody's like, wow, I didn't know if I should bring this forward. Yeah. To me, that, that strikes a chord with psychological safety. That's That's what I think. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're not punishing yeah, Elon Musk talks about this a lot. Like he, I, I saw a YouTube clip where he was talking about how he hires and the group hires. They hire if someone has done something exceptional in their life and they fire if somebody's not trying new things mm -hmm. and not like disclosing the mistakes. They're just kind of status quo. And I mean, it's a highly innovative company. That makes a lot of sense. I wonder if that gets harder as the company gets bigger. Like I know with a smaller group, it's probably easier to disclose and innovate. Do you think, have you have you seen that get harder as your company tripled? Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's a couple of things that get harder. One is, you know, specifically too, if you're a public company, which, you know, many of the larger ones are, where yeah. you're really trying to, you know, kind of, you've got shareholder expectations to yeah. meet. So constant innovation is not reasonable. And like, disruption. You can't yeah, just you get, disrupt. Just can't, you're, you're in constant change agent mode, right? So you've got to like, so I think, you know, in the, size and scale matter a lot. And yeah. also the amount of resources, financial as much as even just like psychological resources yeah. for change. Um, I think right now too, I mean, we were having this uh, conversation recently about like, we're in an absolute change. Like the last two years, no matter where you were, what you did, yeah. you're in change. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. recently, uh, just last week, I we was with my leadership team talking about like, and now we throw a Synovus Husky on top of that change. Yeah. In the middle of the change. In the middle of the change, we got yeah. more change. So people have change fatigue. 
those who embrace change, like I'm a comfortable change agent, change agent. So when I start to feel change fatigue, I'm like, oh, I can't even imagine how those who are uncomfortable with change yeah. are feeling right now. Yeah. Um, because that must be absolutely overwhelming. Yeah. Um, so I I think when you start to talk about innovation right now, one, there is a core group of people or group, no matter what your organization in, that need to still be innovating. Yeah. But whether you have an organization innovating or you have a smaller group, that's going to really decide, I think, or sorry, be determined by where your organization is in its journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and you're it never makes not sense. moving things ahead, but you can't always be evolving. You can't be changing your strategy or evolving your big plans in 18 months. Yeah. It's, 9, it's tough to pivot 9,000 people. Yep. Exactly. With billions of dollars of assets and, and shareholder expectations. And, yeah. yeah. And also like, you know, think about, so th I think about like the employment experience, right? If if you're like, oh, I'm going to work at Synovus because they this is their value proposition, A, B, C, D, yeah. E. And if you're constantly changing it, you actually never, you never have a chance to experience it. Right now, there's a lot of us going through home renovations or buying new houses. And so <laughs> really? we, we use this. We're always like, no, we're going to have to live in the house for a while. No painting yeah. walls, no moving walls. You got to go live in the house. Yeah. Stop redecorating. Yeah. There's probably like a COVID oh, yeah. redecorating renovation yep. spree. Like, there is. Yeah. Well, oh. people changing their space, right? Because they were working from home. I, yeah. We did it. Now, we were looking at moving before COVID hit, but yeah. then it only took a few months in a, you know. The house was not designed for three people to be working from home. You said you have a home gym? I do. Okay. That and was a big, big, that was a material reason why we moved. Hell, you know, it's a big part of your life, like it fitness. Is. And and uh, you've, you've mentioned before, it helps keep you well. And I imagine throughout the change, it has been ultimately important. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I don't know, you're, you're the doctor, not me, but I would say like everybody needs to have things that I always say is a chemical release, right? Like they ground yeah. them. Yeah. I always call it my, it's like my, um, I'm not Ferris Bueller, my goodness. Uh, it's all right. I'll come back to who I was going to say. Forrest Gump, sorry. Yeah. It's like my Forrest Gump. I, like yeah. why does Forrest Gump get up and run? Because he's trying to gr like rebalance himself, Yeah. right? It's not because he wanted to go for or however far he ran. He just decided he needed to go reset. So we all have a need to do that. Yeah. Um, and many people choose different things that ground them and absolutely working out is mine. It, it seems to be more than just grounding for you though. Like you compete. I do compete. And uh, yes. it's a, it's a, it's a big part of your life competing mm -hmm. in CrossFit. So yeah. is it just, is it only grounding or like it, it, it probably gives you a lot of meaning just been, you've been so successful in it too. I think it gives me a few things. One is I'm not – actually, this is most people who know me in that world will say, like, I will literally be signed up for the next thing before yeah. I've even kind of finished competing in one. And it is – I'm very – like, I need to know what the next thing is. I'm not very good at just – doing something or being in the moment with it you mean yeah well no more of like if i if i say whether it's fitness or work like i either need to know the strategy i'm driving towards yeah or the north star like yeah. here's where i'm going and here's my plan like there is nothing that makes me happier than starting a new program or plan i love it i'm yeah. so bought into it um and it's not actually about the 
competing day. For me, it's about following the program, following the plan, and really being that element of, and it's, I'll say discipline, but it's it's not about being disciplined as much as it's like, I like to see the result. I'd yeah. like to follow it and see the result. So you, you enjoy the process of- Love the process. The, of the competition even more so than I the do. actual competition? 100%. Yeah. 300%. Yeah, yep. that's very exact. That's love. an exact number. <laughs> <laughs> I love the process. Love it, love it, love it. I that's think it's so cool. fun. I love the training. It's there's there's something too about like physical pain that is like cathartic in working out for mm -hmm. in like the whole dopamine endorphin situation. Yeah. Do you and CrossFit is uh, and at the level you compete at, it's quite painful, I imagine. It is. Yeah. And I've actually, I was, I was just sharing with you before, like I find that we're back in office now and I'm out of sync. I mean, for two years, basically, you know, had a gym in the house, yeah. would do that either morning, noon, night, doesn't matter what it is. And yeah, the last month of driving back downtown has got me all in a race. So I've got to sort myself out. Yeah. Um, and I, and so, um, Last night I was driving home and I was like, I could, and I actually bailed on the gym um, because I was like, I'm not in a place to go into that pain cave. Like I was so yeah. tired coming home. Yeah. And that's often why I don't like working out at night. Because when you know you're going to kind of go all in on something like that, your psychology that you need to be half asleep, you don't know you're doing it, or you're got to feel a bit fresh, right? Yeah. So to go at like six o'clock at night after a long day was... I don't have the mental fortitude and I should have just gone. I was being a slacker. Yeah. It feels like the, the mountain's just a little taller. Yeah. When you're so I can, yeah. I'm not good at working out after noon basically. Yeah. Yeah. Me yeah. too. I like the morning workout. You just do it. Just yeah. Get it done. Mindless. Yeah. So right now we're, as I said, we're renovating in the house. So I've got like a, I've got a bike, like a spin bike sitting yeah. literally uh, in our upstairs, like bedroom and this morning my husband like I literally rolled out of bed basically in my pajamas <laughs> and put my shoes on and yeah. just got on the bike and started like going and yeah. he's like nice workout outfit I was like I need to get my head wrapped around working out in the morning again yeah. like I think that's gonna end up being and so this morning I was like no if you go and try and change and get ready you're not gonna commit to this just literally jump on that bike uh, because you've been so successful in competing do you like uh, and you're an HR I imagine people look up to that and it like sets the tone a bit of a culture of wellness. Have you found that to, there to be a trickle down effect with that? Uh, I hope so. Yeah. I mean, I think people know that I value them getting their time yeah. and having their space. Um, you know, right now we're uh, rolling out, started yesterday, a hybrid work uh schedule or okay. model or yeah. program people call it different things uh where people can flex home we've always had a flex in and out time but like you can flex home a couple days a week yeah. we're coming back to the office so for me i want people to be able to be their best selves and yeah. i know for me like this is my, you know, what's my perfect scenario right you get to dream it out like i would love to go work for a few hours go work out for an hour or two and then work again right so if yeah. someone came to Are me- Are you able to do that? Do you do that? I don't right now. Yeah. No. That's, that's not an easy schedule to carry, but yeah. No, because I'm downtown. Like this yeah. is why I think if I'm like, okay, how do I sort this a little bit better? Um, how do I maybe a couple of days a week, um, there's lots of gyms that are like, you know, two seconds from the office, yeah. do a couple of mid 
day workouts, right? So that's actually where I'm, I am right now is like, I don't like the 5.30 a.m. workout. It makes me grumpy. So, you know, or, or I roll out of bed in my pajamas and work out. Um, but yeah, so I do think um, that people understand that I value that. Yeah. Um, and I value it for them. Yeah. Whatever they need and want to do, I value it for them. How do you bridge the, like you being an HR, like the bulk of your workforce is in the field. Mm-hmm. And also the bulk of your workforce, you'll never really meet like thousands of people who work with you for you in the organization. You'll never meet. How do you consider that and bridge that specifically because it's an industrial type workplace where your lifestyle is not necessarily the lifestyle that you live if you are working offshore in China, for example? Mm -hmm. It's an impossible question. I just want to get some of your thoughts and perspectives around how do you try and bridge that, especially when it comes to wellness and exercise and psychological safety and mental health, these things that you hold near and dear. How do you make sure those translate and get across to the field? Uh, well, I think I'll answer it a couple of ways. One is I do my best to actually try and get to all of our sites. Yeah. Um, it's been a weird couple of years, but back on track here we go i value that so much yeah because it really helps me to be able to say oh my gosh we can't do that right or we can do that or this would help or it wouldn't help um i spent a few days up in lloydminster in the fall um i was out in newfoundland in i guess the fall like november late november and again it just grounds me yeah to put a mindset over top of as we roll things out or what is how we you know, what is going to be of value. So that's one is just to make sure that as much as possible. You're getting out in the field as much as possible. I'm grounded in it. Our yeah. team is grounded in it. Don't roll out things that not everybody can do yeah. or roll it out and adapt, yeah. right? So that's one. Two is you're really in service to those, you know, field leaders, as I, if I describe it that, and really partnering with them to understand what they need yeah. to be in support of their team. Right. Yeah. The what the leader needs who's sitting in the office or at working from home in like a more of a traditional um, office based role compared to what somebody needs who's leading um, individuals who and I, I can't, sorry, there's this one vision I have in my mind over and over. We were in Lloyd um, and we were at a rail yard and, you know, there's someone their job is, you know, eight, nine hours a day, like outside. Yeah. And all I can think about in that day that I was there was just like, oh my gosh. And we're sending things out on our company intranet about watch sure. this video. Yeah. Like, yeah. Not tone deaf. Yeah. Right. Absolutely works for three, 4,000 people of our, of our organization, does not work for the other 5,000. Yeah. And what are we doing for that group? So I think it's as long as you continue to keep that in check. And that's really all we can do. Yeah. Yeah. And ask, ask questions. Is there a divide? Like the politically correct answer is no, and like everything's perfect, and we all get each other. Is is there a divide? You mean like between like the field more, and field HQ? and office base? Yeah. Um, I think there's just differences. I wouldn't say a divide. Yeah. No. Um, I mean, I'm sure people would say, well, you know. There's, there's people returning to office or returning. And meanwhile, you know, there are individuals in our field who have 
never had anything different except for more challenges for the last yeah, two years, yeah. right? Especially those that are our camp-based facilities or our offshore facilities, yeah. like their life has been really challenging yeah. for the last two years. They've been masked the whole time. They've- um, Protocols have changed. Protocols were just at different times up and down. So I think those can lead to frustrate, you know, not frustrations, I mean, it, Yes, frustrations, but um, some animosity, right? Yeah. You know, where people are like, oh, you're frustrated that, you know, you now can't work from home five days a week. Meanwhile, yeah. I've been in this environment the whole time. So I really, they're different roles. They're different locations. They're yeah. all different. And it's not about one versus the other. Yeah. And I think it's how do we make, whether you are a field-based employee in Newfoundland, Alberta, office, but like, what can we do to maximize your experience in the best way possible? Yeah. What are the priorities for that? And that's kind of not all we can do, but I think that's a great starting point for what we can do as opposed to office gets this, field gets this. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, we always, so my ground rule on our, on our team that I'll say if we're rolling something out is design it for the most challenging environment. So if you're designing sure. it for a field or sorry, an operator on a platform in Newfoundland and it works, awesome. It's then we know everybody gonna else is yeah. going to work everywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. I like that principle a lot. Mm -hmm. Is the merger completing? Is it coming to conclusions? Is it getting settled? It is. It's it's exciting, actually. So after this, we have a different team meeting this afternoon. But so we, from an HR integration, and we held, there, there's all sorts of integration streams that have been running. But I will tell you that we held a big chunk of them. Yeah, HR did. <laughs> HR. Yeah. HR and IT. Yeah. So from the HR integration streams, they're almost all complete which is a huge pretty cool. piece with the exception of the ones that are tied to the IT integration. Yeah. And that has a huge mammoth July 5th, 2022, we will integrate our systems. Okay. And so that is, I think, you know, kind of just this magic day everybody's got built in there. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so we're really working to that date right now. There'll be all sorts of things after that have, you know, kind of, continue to improve but for the most part for the most part we're done we're now just waiting on that to implement yeah yeah well con congratulations on uh leading teams through such dramatic change yeah thank you and changing you know keeping well throughout the process yeah that's been a huge win i think for so many leaders and uh yeah thanks for joining us on the show i i mean i, I think our listeners will benefit from hearing in particular how you've tripled and how you've still stayed grounded to the values and what you've done there. Because mm -hmm. there's a lot of machinations and and uh, you leading large teams to do that's very impressive. So thanks for sharing all that with us. Yeah, no, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Awesome.